A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Hi, Ruben. Hello. When you think of a Singaporean man's mistress, what do you think of? Who do you think of? Um, Thai disco. The <laughs> five, 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 five. That's like the stereotype of 2020, right? Yeah. Yeah. Because all the COVID cases. Yeah. And I know stereotypes are horrible. But before that, for the longest time, it was a Chinese woman. And you're like, wait, daddy, isn't 70% of Singapore Chinese? Oh, you mean like the male order brides from China? Like, like a woman from China. Okay. And it's not just any woman from China. It was a Peitu Mama. And so a Peitu Mama translates directly to a study with mother. So these are moms that come from China to take care of their kids while their kids enroll in Singapore schools. Hmm. And the thing is that most Peitu Mamas are, are very nice. They're very serious women who come to Singapore to help their kids get a better life, right? I guess, yep. But the stereotype for the very longest time was that Peitu Mamas would come to Singapore and then they would work as hostesses or bar girls or they just straight up come to Singapore to seduce Singaporean husbands for money and work as, I guess, in a sense, quote-unquote professional salesans. And the stereotype actually got so intense that there were news articles, journalists looking to interview these women. And don't you think that Singaporeans love a villain? Yeah, I guess. Kiasu, <laughs> kipo, people. So they like drama. Yeah, so they made the Peitu Mama a villain. And when really the thing is that most people wouldn't be seduced if they didn't want to be seduced. You know, it takes two hands to clap. And now, a couple of years ago, around 2014, there was even this video going around as well. And it was a mother confronting her husband and his mistress. And she was, you guessed it, a Peitu Mama. And in the video, the guy's daughter claims that her dad took everything of value to give to his mistress. Mm. And for a lot of men and their Peitu Mama mistresses, that's the worst case scenario, right? A public confrontation is humiliating. Mm. But what if it isn't? What if the worst case scenario, like a lot of other cases we cover in this podcast, what if the worst case scenario is death? Yeah, that's worse. <laughs> Hi, I'm Teddy. I'm uh, Ruben. Yes, and welcome to A Briefcase. Today, we're covering the case of Yu Lim Hok Lai and the death of his mistress, Yu Hongjing. Alright, Ruben. When you think of a cheating man, who do you imagine? Um... Ooh, it's tough. Who's a big cheater? <laughs> Tiger Woods. Oh, shit. <laughs> <laughs> Alright, so it's somebody who's very, very selfish, right? Who's a little bit harsh. Who tends to be just like a bit cold. Right, yep, sure. Yes. Alright. But the thing is that that wasn't you at all. In 2005-2006, you was around 52 years old. You is who? Who is not me? 
Stop it. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And he had been married to Ang Moi Huang for 28 years, which means that they got married when he was 24. Mm. So pretty young, but not unusual for that time. Okay. They had three kids, three daughters, and I think in 2006, they were 17, 23, and 28 years old. And Yu was known for being kind, he was gentle, he was generous. And the thing is that he raised three kids, three daughters, but he never ever raised his voice, never shouted at them, never hit them. Together, Yu and his wife had a chichasta, which is a kind of Singaporean, more, more seafoody food stall, but it also can be a restaurant. It's like, um, you know, uh, Panda Express in the US. Uh, where you go and pick like dishes to go with your rice. That's basically it <laughs> in Singapore, but like in a hawker centre. But more legit. Yeah. Tastier. Yes. And you, he didn't have much of a formal education. He actually dropped out after primary three, which is very, very young. But he made it work. And it was reasonably successful. They ran the store for 22 years. Oh, wow. Yeah, and every month the stall made a profit of around three to four thousand, mm-hmm. and the couple would take home two thousand two hundred as like their salary. Collectively. Yeah, collectively. Oh, how long ago is it? Uh, two thousand six. Oh, that's not. That's not. That's not a lot. Yeah. But they made it work. And the thing is, I'm not sure if the family had any other investments or businesses, but it was just enough for you to get a car, and not just any car. He got a Merc. Oh, wow. Yeah, he got a Mercedes-Benz. So, so that makes me feel like maybe they had something else going on, but this was the main thing. So now let's talk about Hong Jin. Hong Jin was a Peitu mama, and it's assumed that she's divorced because most articles refer to her ex-husband. Okay. And she came to Singapore in 2002 and had a 10-year-old son. Now, interestingly enough, she was staying in a flat, but not with her son. Her 10-year-old son was staying elsewhere, even though she was in the same very small country. But so the 10-year-old son was staying by himself? He, she was paying $800 a month for a relative to take care of him. Oh, okay. Yeah. guess she needed her space. <laughs> <laughs> so now you're like, oh, how did you and Hong Jin meet? It was March 2005 about three years after Hong Jin arrived in Singapore. And it was early morning, and Yu was in Ang Mokyo getting a haircut from his barber. Hong Jin was not his barber. Okay. Okay, so he gets his haircut, and everything is fine, he's done. He's walking away when Hong Jin steps out of a massage parlor. Yes, and this probably isn't how it went, but I assume she said something like, is like a massage ma, which translates to, hey handsome, do you want a massage? This is in Ang Mokyo. Yeah, in Ang Mokyo. Sounds like something that should be in Orchard Towers or <laughs> Geylang. Or hey, don't, don't hear on Geylang. <laughs> Okay, and so he says yes, he goes in, and we don't know if it was a special massage or there was anything with the massage, but that's how their relationship started. Okay. And we don't know how they saw their relationship, but very objectively from my point of view, it was, it was quite financial in terms of the support that he gave her. Mm. Emotionally, he was a very good listener, which is very important, but financially, he paid her rent, even though he was never allowed to stay there, not even overnight. But he he was still earning $2,000. Yeah, so he was like taking it from his... Maybe they had a joint account. I don't know how this really worked. Hmm. But it's a bit sus, right? It's a a financial burden. Yeah. Exactly. Even though he was never allowed to stay there, he also gave her money whenever she asked for it. And when she went home to visit her family in Fuqing, China, he bought the tickets. 
And not just that, when she wanted to be a massage parlor owner, when she wanted to start her own business, he put $8,500 in to Feng Yi Beauty and Healthcare Center. Wow. That's a lot of money. Wouldn't his wife notice immediately? Exactly, like, right? If you're, not, if you're not earning that much money. Exactly. And, like, you take out a $8,000... <laughs> Like withdrawal from your joint account. Yeah. Like, immediately somebody will notice, right? Yeah, maybe <laughs> his wife really, really trusted him to just take care of finances. Maybe she was like, okay, baby, take care. Even if you were earning money, if you did 8500 like surely your spouse would be like, hey, what was that? <laughs> so they even got into a routine. They, they had a relationship, right? But their relationship had a routine. So Hongjin's new massage parlor, Feng Yi Beauty and Healthcare Center, it was in Ang Mokyo. And you know what else was in Ang Mokyo? The shop that you buy seafood from every day for his family's chicha store. And also his barber. Right, of course. And his massage parlor. <laughs> yes. So every morning, he'll drive down to the market at Ang Mokyo. But every other day, he would go buy the massage parlor. And he would help her open the shop, do housekeeping. Then he would buy her breakfast and then pay for her shopping. Okay. Alright, and once everything was settled, he would get in his car and drive to his family store in Tampanese. Oh, that's very far. Yeah, right? Okay. And, well, the thing is, other than the fact that he was cheating on his wife, taking their money to spend on his mistress, life was kind of okay-ish. I guess for him. Okay. Yeah, that is until June 14th, 2006, almost like a year later. Mm. All right, it was a Wednesday. And now remember, like this whole year, he's paying rent on her HDB flat where her son doesn't even stay, but he's also not allowed to stay. So I'm not sure how how she explained it to him, but he was just never allowed over. Okay. And now we also don't know why he was there, but at 7 a.m. in the morning, he saw another man leaving the flat. Okay. And he saw the man parked his lorry below her block. Okay. And he's like, hey, 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 I'm paying your rent. I am your lover. Okay. Are you sleeping with this guy? Right. And she denies it because she doesn't want to lose essentially her sugar daddy, right? But it sounds like she has another... Right? Right. <laughs> We, we don't know. We, we don't know. Multiple sources of passive income. I, I don't think it's that passive. <laughs> Maybe you're lying down. Yeah. Does that count? Yeah, it's a horizontal Yeah, no, investment. but instead of being apologetic, right? She slaps him and punches him in the head. And this wasn't the first time that she hit him. She hit him before when he told her not to go to karaoke and not to get drunk. But you know, he wasn't going to take that from his mistress. Not if his Xiaosan was sleeping with someone else. So he was like, give me my $8,500 back and you also owe me another $5,000 and he wanted that back too. Okay. And Hong Jin was like, well, if you want to break up with me, you have to pay me. If not, your family will find out exactly what kind of person you are. Right. Yeah, I mean, and, and at that point, I would panic. Mm. All right. So they fought through the day and the day after that and they fought up to Friday. It was like a long fight. But he went home during this time. We don't know. He must know. have known. He must like, have I mean, he must <laughs> have. Where the wife be like, where, where are you? <laughs> Yeah. And so at some point, it went from her denying it to her saying that she needed her freedom. And it also changed from you asking Hong Jin to return the money to him asking her to break up with her other boyfriend. You know, like at the end of the day, it seemed like what she really wanted, what she really, really wanted was $30,000. 
Why? It's a very specific song. <laughs> like her breakup alimony. Okay. And, and the weird thing is, even though they were fighting, and it looked like they were probably going to break up, right? He still took her and her son marketing on Saturday. Oh, why? As in like, what, for groceries? Yeah, like it was a routine, so he just took them. I, oh. I, I guess maybe they were fighting throughout. Okay. <laughs> yeah, and at the time, she was like, okay, well, why don't you meet me at my shop on Sunday to talk about this and to settle this once and for all? Mm. But guess what? Sunday, tomorrow, the next day, was Father's Day. Okay. Yeah. So when he got home, he was stressed, he was panicked, he was distraught. And he had three daughters, right? Yep. And so even though his eldest daughter was married and she moved out already, his two younger daughters still lived with him. And they noticed that he was very stressed. So he he lied. He, he told his kids that I bought a share in a massage parlor and my business partner owes me money. Mm. Yeah, and in my opinion, he had quite a lot of audacity to do this because he even drove them past the massage parlor and he even drove them past Hong Jin's flat. Right. Yeah. All right, let's take a digression. If you are a dad, how do you imagine spending Father's Day? Um, sleeping. <laughs> uh, maybe having an afternoon beer. <laughs> Don't you already have afternoon beers? Yeah, so I'm like already living the dream life. <laughs> <laughs> okay, now we know that you, even though he cheated on his wife and family, up to that point he was a pretty good dad, you know? Up okay. to that point he had a, had, a, had a strong track record, he was a good father. And his kids were pretty old by then. Yeah, stage, and his right? kids really need to be taken care of. loved him. Okay. Like full on, his kids loved him. That's, that's one thing that every sauce corroborates how do they know this yeah. <laughs> oh, okay okay fair enough yeah and so they really wanted to pamper him for father's day so they were like daddy you can sleep in and we will go out and run and get the groceries and get the fish and then we can all go out for dim sum lunch after Ooh, dim sum. Yeah. yeah and then he's like oh shit how am i gonna find time to sneak off and break up with hong jin mm. but aha when his daughters brought the fish home he was like this is not good fish I can't believe it. The fishmonger gave you bad fish. He's ripping us off with, with shit fish. Right. Alright, I will go out and tell the fishmonger off. And then on the way back, I can pick up your sister. And we can come back and we can all go for lunch. And then so he went off with the fish. I assume he never really exchanged the fish. And honestly, the fish was probably like fine. The fish was probably yeah, he, like he, perfect. I'm sure he just brought back the same fish. <laughs> and the, the daughters wouldn't be like, Oh no, that's not the same fish. <laughs> <laughs> You know what's the flaw in his plan? He's, he doesn't live in the like the Tinder age. He doesn't realize <laughs> that all he needed to do was ghost her and his problems will be done. Like, just don't turn up. No, it's like, 2006. It's not Tinder. Yeah, just ghost her and then he never yeah. needs to see her again. Yeah. Maybe avoid Amokyo for the rest of his life. No, maybe, but then it's like betting that she won't go to his wife and kids, you know? Alright, instead, he goes off. To meet Hong Jin in her massage parlor. Okay. And this is where the accounts differ. And we're going to start with Yu's version. We aren't too clear when he arrives at the massage parlor. But when he got there, the first thing that Hong Jin did was... Ask him for $30,000. <laughs> Again, okay. Yeah, her separation fee. Right. And if he didn't pay her, she was going to tell his wife and his family all about their affair. Right. But the thing is that he didn't have any money. Well, I mean, not really. Technically, all the money that he spent on her was his family's money. Mm. And also, $30,000. Just just randomly ask for $30,000. It's kind of hard to, to get together. Also, right? yeah, if he's earning collectively $2,000 a month, that's 15 yeah. months 
of income. Yeah. It's not doable. Yeah. But you know, at this point, after fighting for days and days, he's like, screw it. I'm not even going to ask for my $8,500 back or the $5,000. You can keep it. But he was never, ever, ever going to meet her again. Okay. And so he was about to leave when he felt her grab him from behind and stab him. And so he fought back and he ended up grabbing her neck, pushing her up against the wall. And the knife, it was it was slippery with blood. So somehow he ended up stabbing her. And so they were in a fight. So he, he grabbed her from behind and he pushed her onto the massage bed. But she was kicking at him and he just wanted to make her stop. He just wanted her to be unconscious. But while he was holding her by her neck, she was fighting back and she was stabbing at him. Okay. All right. And the whole time this was happening, he could hear his phone ringing. And he could see that his daughter was calling him. Right. So he managed to pick up the phone and shout out Rescue Me and the name of the, the massage parlor. Okay. And then he passed out. Now, at home, Yu's kid, his middle daughter, she noticed that he was gone for some time. And so she was like trying to get in touch with him because how long do you need to exchange a fish, you know? Right. Yeah. And she was trying to call him, but no one was picking up. Now, here's, here's a little discrepancy that I noticed. Apparently, at 10.56am, he called back, right? right? Not that he picked up, but he called back. Now, now maybe he managed to, maybe I'm misinterpreting this, but I thought that was, that was an interesting thing to note. Okay. But she managed to hear the message and the name of the massage parlor. And just remember, a couple of days ago, he actually drove by with his kids. Okay. Yeah, and was like, yeah, my business partner has issues. So she got a cab, because remember this is 2006 and there's no Uber or Grab. And she rushed there, but she couldn't open the door, it was locked. So she went next door to the hairdressing salon, alright? Being like, oh, maybe there's a connecting door in the back, you know, those old shops. Mm. Yeah, but but no dice. And finally she's like, okay, so she called the police and this was at 11.14am. So this is just all under 20 minutes. Okay. Yeah, and at this time, his wife and his other daughter arrived, his younger daughter, and his wife, um, Moi Hong, she's quite smart and she has a lot of common sense. So she asked the couple that lived in the flat above the shop to let her in through the back door of the building and that's how they managed to get in. Okay, it's, yeah, it's very smart. Yeah. So here's what she saw. She saw Hong Jin dead, lying on a massage table with a knife in her hand. Later, she would be pronounced dead at 11.41am. Okay. And on the floor, her husband, covered in blood, passed out, but still alive. And this was Yu's version of the story. And it's interesting, and this is like really just opinion. But reading this all and like researching the case up to the point where he met Hong Jing, he never did anything that wasn't, you know, like quote unquote right. He was like quite proper as a family mm. man. On the other hand, it's, it's very easy, especially like 60 plus episodes in, when we're doing these cases to forget that these are very real people mm. and they aren't just like stories. And so this was something that really got me. So Yu Hongjin, her 10-year-old son, had to plan her funeral mm. and choose her clothes okay. and set up her wig. And they had to delay the funeral until her ex-husband and her brother could settle their visa and passports and come to Singapore. Mm. Yeah. So the trial happened a year later. Now, if you're an older Singaporean or in-law, you'll probably recognize this name. In court, you was represented by the famous criminal lawyer, Subhas Anadan. Oh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> so he represented all of them. 
All the criminals. Yeah. <laughs> One-eyed dragon included. <laughs> if you've listened to any earlier cases, you know. Yep. It's him. It'll be him. Now, if the events actually happened according to Yu's version, then he would be charged with culpable homicide. But if not, it would be murder. Okay. So here was the opposing version. Yu went to the massage parlor and he was already jealous. He was angry. How dare she? He's paying her rent. He's giving her money. How, how dare she have another boyfriend? So he strangled her, stabbed her, staged the scene, stabbed himself, and then made the call. This case, just from a legal perspective, this case is quite interesting to me because that must mean that he revealed to the prosecution that he had a relationship with her, yeah. that he saw her with the other dude in the flat and and all of that. Mm-hmm. And then the prosecution took this evidence and in complete speculation came up with an alternative case that was adverse to him. <laughs> Which is very strange because usually you, what would happen is you would have a corroborating witness with an opposing view and you'd use the evidence against what yeah. he was saying. But in this case, from what I've heard so far at least, it doesn't sound like there would have been any other witness. Wait, <laughs> no, but what what if there was? Like, you know, like the people who saw them marketing and then all the shops around them saw him coming in to clean. Maybe. Yeah, so and if then there maybe were, they were like cutesy together while they were cleaning. Okay, so yeah, that, that would make more sense. Or maybe like yeah. the lorry driver saw him when he yeah. ended up at the house. Yeah, or uh, maybe the lorry driver knew that she had like another thing and didn't really mind. Okay, perhaps, yeah. yeah. Maybe I should go and read the case. Like, there, Yeah, if there were other witnesses, that makes a lot more sense. Yeah. But again, um, these were details that I wasn't able to find. Mm. Both sides had really, really credible forensic scientists testifying, like people from HSA, people who came in from like Australia. And the, the way it was framed, it looked like it was down to who had more convincing forensic evidence. And there was even a reenactment with a dummy, which I always find a bit odd. And I... I don't know why, like, when people reenact scenes with a dummy in court, it makes me feel a bit uncomfortable, you know? I think, I, I mean, I, I have no idea it's speculating here, but I think probably what they were looking at was the angle that the knife entered her body and his body because you can kind of tell when somebody's stabbing themselves versus when they're stabbed, like, just based on how they've been stabbed. Uh-huh. Hey. Uh-huh, that is a pertinent point that you bring up, Ruben. <laughs> okay, okay. <laughs> yeah. But like, that is true. I wasn't going to include this, but like now that you brought it up, it's really important. Right. Um, so the stabbing of, of you, it actually missed most of his major organs. It didn't hit anything essential, which is how he managed to survive. Right. And his expert witness said that it's very unlikely that these were self-inflicted. Now to sum it up, to sum the whole thing up, there were a couple of things that the judge took into account. So now the first one, that apparently almost everyone forgot was the hairdresser. Okay. Yeah, why didn't she hear any sounds, especially if they were fighting? Well, I mean, they were fighting with knives. I don't know how much noise. I mean, the, like, if I you... I guess you get, if you get stabbed, <laughs> you start screaming, yeah. But <laughs> was yeah. the hairdresser in the shop? No, the she was in the, Yeah, she was in the shop cutting hair. Okay. Yeah. Um, the second thing is why didn't Hong Jin just stab him in the back? Why would she, like, go hug him from behind and stab him in the stomach? Here's the thing, right? Wait, sorry, just to go back a second. The hairdresser point doesn't help anybody though, right? Because even if you take her case where, like, she... Where he was jealous and she stabbed... Like, he stabbed her. Yeah. She w- There would still have been noise. Oh my gosh, <laughs> like, yes. 100%, like, there would have been noise either way. It doesn't help anybody. <laughs> like, <laughs> 
I don't know, but the happy accident <laughs> apparently was a very pertinent point in the judge it's making like, his uh, statement. Was, the fact that there was no noise is just weird, <laughs> but it doesn't help anybody. <laughs> oh my gosh, I didn't even notice that. Yeah, okay. Yeah, now the second thing is why didn't she, she just stab him in the back, right? Right. And the last thing was that during the reenactment, like you said, the knife during the struggle would have been pointed to the floor, not at Hong Jin's stomach. Because okay. she had stab wounds too. Right. Right. And also kind of related is that one of the forensic experts also said that, hey, there's no blood splatter. Why, why isn't there blood splatter if there was a scuffle? And the, the other weird thing is that the judge didn't really make like a definitive statement on whether the stab wounds on you were self-inflicted or not. Okay. Oh, I think I see what the prosecution case is. I, again, I'm just speculating. I think mm-hmm. probably what they were trying to say is he had premeditated this. He knew he wanted to kill her out mm-hmm. of jealousy. Turned up at the massage parlor, killed her before she could react, so mm-hmm. she didn't make noise. Mm. There was no struggle, so there was no blood splatter. Mm. Um, and then he stabbed himself after she was dead to make it look like there was a struggle. Which, In which case, then all that evidence makes mm. sense. But with that, with all the points that you brought up, on June 30th, 2009, you were charged with murder and sentenced to death. Hmm. But this was not the end. Because of how the case went, because of how, how the hearing trial caught everything that went, hmm. um, Subhas and his team, they were pretty sure that they could appeal. Now, the appeal hearing happened on September 2010. So, like almost like three, four years later. Right. And there were a lot of points brought up. But because I am not an expert, and to be honest, while reading the details of this case, I was genuinely a bit confused as well. These are the main points and the points that I personally thought were the most pertinent. But okay, the first one is that the fight between you and Hong Jin and the main part of the scuffle could have happened before the hairdresser came in, which according to her was at 10.15. The hairdresser came into her hairdressing salon at 10.15am. But... You said that he left home around 9am, closer to 10am. So this is actually possible. It's in like the realm of possibility, given the timeline. Okay. And the strangulation marks on Hong Jin showed inconsistent pressure. Like somebody squeezed and let go and squeezed and let go. It wasn't just a squeeze at a single point. So this pointed to signs of a scuffle. And one thing that was brought up is that sometimes... Stomach wounds can bleed slowly and not bleed as much. And it's consistent with the fact that his stab wounds didn't hit any of the major organs. Okay. There was also the fact that Hong Jin had a history of violence towards you and that he never retaliated. So according to his defense, there had to be a reason why he felt like he had to subdue her. According to the judgment, it really didn't seem like he had any premediation. And honestly, it looked like he just wanted to settle this and go home and celebrate his father's day. Mm. The appeal was successful. And instead of finding him guilty of murder, he was found guilty of culpable homicide not amounting to murder. Mm. The prosecution was still asking for a life sentence. But instead, he was jailed for 10 years, backdated to 2006. So I didn't know you could backdate um, jail time. Well, he's not backdated. What probably happened was from the date that he was on trial, mm. he might have been already serving his sentence in him being uh, incarcerated. Mm. So they just say that it's time spent in prison already. Like high court hearing could have taken a couple of years. Court of appeal could have taken another year. So he mm. could have spent like a, a good three years perhaps just in, in hearings whilst 
being behind bars. Mm. And I think for murder, uh, it, it might Can not... Can you bail? Um, I can't remember. There's some non-bailable offences. Murder might be one. Yeah. Um, it's probably a bit odd if, you, if you're suspected of killing someone and you're just like walking around. Yeah. Mm. Um, so he could have just been in jail the whole time. So it's not technically backdating. They're just saying that he served mm. like some time already. Mm. Yeah, but that's it. Don't mm. cheat on your wives, guys. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I guess that's the lesson. <laughs> thanks for being on the show, Ruben. Yeah, uh, thanks, Teddy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So recently, I started on a new book from the NLB app, which can be opened in Libby, support mm-hmm. our libraries. It's called Crime Scene in Asia, When Forensic Evidence Becomes the Silent Witness by Liz Porter. So mm. this is one of the cases in that book. And if you are interested, I really recommend it because it really goes into the details of the case, like the really forensic nitty-gritty. But like legit, it also can be a bit confusing. Okay. <laughs> yes. And if you have any cases that you'd like me to cover, drop me a DM on Instagram at a briefcase podcast. And as always, find me online at a briefcasepodcast.com. And do join us next week for another briefcase. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.